is St. Patrick's Day, and what a St. Patrick's Day it is, isn't it? <laughs> we are having quite the St. Patrick's Day around here. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. It's St. Patrick's Day, and we don't even know where we are. Hey, everybody. Is it real? Is it really St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> I'll leave that up to you to decide for the first time, maybe, since maybe 9-11 or World War II, some wartime activities. Nobody is out on the streets. Nobody is in a pub. Just yes, to make sure that we all got our act together, the president, the CDC, and the governor of the state made sure everybody knew, do not go anywhere. Support the carryout and drive through activities, which kind of makes St. Patrick's Day celebrations kind of irrelevant because guess what? St. Patrick's Day is all about the community getting together and drinking, but it's not going to happen today. Stay home. Stay in your homes. You can do all this drinking you want and all the cheering you want. Just for the love of God, we all need to stay home. Number it is. And some of you are probably going absolutely crazy. You have young children at home, right? And you are probably wondering, this is why they pay teachers. <laughs> right? You have children under under a certain age, under 16. And I don't know about you, but for me, what is driving me absolutely crazy is I can't keep with it. I mean, I cook. And I think I cook it now for two, three days at a time. And what happened? I should have taken that picture I made uh, on Sunday, thinking, you know, I'm going to cook and I'll have an ass until Tuesday. <laughs> By Monday morning when I woke up, it was empty. And there I, there I was yesterday cooking again. So pray for me as many of you are. So somebody ran a joke on my Instagram feed that that uh, <laughs> that none of us are going to have summer bodies because, you know, all this quarantining is making us all feel this scarcity mentality, right? So we're all feeling like <clears throat> the cookies are gone. I thought I'm off enough to shelter in place for at least four weeks. Where did the cookies go? My daughter just looked at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. The other one is like, I don't know either. Why are you asking me? Ask her. <laughs> and this is me. So if I want to go see, what happened? So good luck to all of us who think that we will have enough. The good news is that America's retailers have said that uh, America's retailers have said that they are there is enough food. They do have food. They just have to clean their stores and restock and so on. So when you need something, we can go and get it. For the love of God, people, stop buying food for 30 years. Be a sandwich later, but you have enough bread to feed an entire group of 500 people, right? And people have bought all everything. There's enough food to last. I know we're concerned about movement, but they will, in these kinds of situations, they, you can go out for essential services. Essential meaning getting groceries, getting uh, pharmaceuticals. If you have to pick up prescriptions, that's what they consider essential. But stuff like going to work and perhaps going to bingo, going to the pub, <laughs> to remind us that life is real, those days are probably, we're counting to those days, right? Pray for all of us. Pray for our leaders, our president. I can't imagine what it is like at Ground Zero right now at the White House. I cannot imagine what it's like at the CDC in Atlanta. I cannot imagine what it is like in governor's offices across the country. On the street, he said, well, today they're going to send people. 
assault on the street. We've got to pray for healthcare professionals. We have to pray for our brothers and sisters who are sleeping on the bridges. Yesterday, was it, it was Sunday. I think it was Sunday. I was driving uh, in Metro Detroit, and uh, I think it was near Telegraph and uh, I can't remember what intersection it was. I think it was Telegraph on the Redford side. Uh, driving through the city of Redford. I was just driving around. I was curious to see how people were living. The streets were empty and it was on there. Typically, people in Metro Detroit are like, because this is the Motor City. Folks here, they drive, right? They like their chargers, their chargers. This is, this is the Motor City for real. They drive here. And I saw uh, a man sitting on the side of the road, and it looked like he had everything in the world on his back. I can pull to wash your hands and to fix a meal for yourself. And I am asking all of us, if you're a civic leader, if you're a city leader, if you're a landlord, can you just not evict anybody? If you're a landlord, please don't evict anybody for the next 90 days. Please give people a chance. Don't write an eviction notice. Where are they going to live? If you're an employer, can you pay your employees, even if you just pay them, you have four weeks in the month, but you can only pay them one month, one week. Pay them something. And I'm asking the government, remember the stimulus package where payroll tax cuts are not going to help anybody Payroll t- because people are not going to get paid. So payroll tax cuts sounds good on paper, but it's not going to help anybody. Follow what Mitt Romney said. Mitt Romney said, send everybody a check for $1,000 per month until this is over. It looks like even if we evolve over the virus in June, in, I just said it in June. Has money, so Mr. President, please, please help us, Mr. President. We love you, sir. Mr. President and the people in Congress, we're sending love and prayers to all of you, all you Republicans. We love you. We're not Republicans and Democrats right now. We're just, we're just people. We need your help. Please help the people. Please, at least, just say you're going to do it. So it will be implemented like the middle of April. So people will at least say. I have something that I can look forward to because people have their projections now. Do you see what I mean? But at least do something to help the people. The people need your help, Mr. President, please. And I'm going to tweet him and ask him. Would you all just tweet the president and say, hey, Mr. President, please help us. Right? We need help. Even shut. They have to put something on top of the freezer and they're still stuck. But what about people who can't, who don't have transportation to drive, to go get food, right? You see what I mean, right? Uh, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, you're not tweet the <laughs> We need help. We need help, right? I live in somebody's asking, Detroit, Michigan. We're in the metro Detroit area, right? So Michigan, Detroit, southeastern Michigan. So if you look at the map of Michigan, we're in that corner of Michigan. So it's getting, it, it's, I am anticipating that eventually, when this starts settling in, it's going to be like to the middle of April, when people start really feeling the economic, to be able to support our people. And I'm going to ask you to check in on your seniors. They can't go out and they don't want to go out. In Italy and some places in Finland, they're setting up supermarkets so people can go in from eight to nine for older folks. So they don't, because they're vulnerable. Right, and we know our seniors. You don't want to lose your mom and your dad, and your great grandma, your grandma, your aunt. You don't want to lose them. Trust me, you don't. If you're attached to them emotionally, you don't want to. My mom is gone, and I'm happy because I couldn't imagine a virus like this 
uh, compromising her. I'm glad she's not here. And I don't know if she would like me saying that right now. She probably would be talking me there, but at least she doesn't experience it. But for those of us who still have seniors in our families who are still alive, those of us who have aunts and uncles, checking on them, say, hey, how is it going? How are you doing? Right? And we have neighbors and friends and people who raised us, people who visited with us when we didn't have anything, checking on our seniors, right? This is this is a problem. And it's a global problem. And it finally hit the U.S. And we're not prepared because we've never, we haven't seen anything like this since peacetime. And we don't really, we really are working towards it. Uh, our governor here in Michigan is doing a fantastic job. She's doing a really good job of, of, of working hard for the people. I, she's trying. She's doing it. The mayor of the city, they're having conferences, they're bringing us up to date. And I suspect this is happening everywhere that you are, that mayors are concerned. The, the local level, all politics is local. So the, at the local level, they're looking you in the eye. And they know you. And you know that. So they're saying these are the things that we can do. You have to, you know, I mean, this, the mayor of San Francisco, she just called a moratorium, living in shelters. If they don't work, it's going to happen. We, the malls are going to close pretty soon because Apple closed the stores. Every major retailer is about to close their stores, so there will be nobody at the malls. But what about the people who work in those stores? They're going to go home, and they won't have any income to feed themselves and their families, Right? We have to be able, as a nation, to think beyond this and think beyond the big companies who 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 are who are making billions of dollars. I mean, if you, you own a big company and you can ask the government, and the government say, "Yeah, I'll give you a couple trillion dollars to bail you out." What about us? We need help too, right? Let's just keep it on the level, right? From India, and I know the subject I'm going to talk about is perhaps going to be very sensitive. But let me just give that disclaimer right away so that we can, we only have a few more minutes left, so that you can be prepared for what we're going to talk about. And while I have your attention, might I invite you to go to my website, theexodusfoundation.com, as we continue to provide services to victims of human trafficking, right? Thank you so very much. You can go to theexodusfoundation.com and you can make a donation. And here is why. As you know, I'm a survivor of intimate partner violence. Naturally, I am sensitive to the subject, right? I'm sensitive to how women are treated and because I survived violence in my home and violence by my intimate partners. I can sit here and tell you what it is like to have been bullied and to have been beaten and to have been threatened. Uh, my ex-husband held a knife to my ribs in November 2 of 1999. I don't have that Bible here, 1999. And that was sort of like the moment when I realized that I could be killed. It wasn't that being beaten didn't make me realize that it was that moment that made me realize that if someone, if he had chosen to push a knife through my ribs, I could have died that day. Because of those experiences, I've written books about it. I've written a book called Through the Fire. I've written another book called Musings of the Spirit that tells how I survived and how I overcame the issues that were associated with, with trauma, because it is a form of trauma. It's a PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress. It does. 
It is real. I had no idea that PTSD existed outside of folks returning from war. I could not understand how it could happen to me, but I experienced it. So because of that, I set up a foundation called the Exodus Foundation, in which we provide services to victims of trafficking. Because in some ways, I identify with being a human trafficking survivor because I, too, was locked up in the house, couldn't go anywhere, was isolated, couldn't talk to anyone, couldn't befriend anybody, couldn't call the cops, took the phones confiscated, had no means of communication. And my identification documents were also taken. So in many ways, I am very grateful to the United States for having me here because it was under the Violence Against Women's Act that I processed. So naturally, I am sensitive to the subject of violence against women. Recently, I did a show on femicide in Mexico. It was very telling and was something that we had to really, really look at. And... uh, when I looked at it, the numbers were even more startling here in the U.S. Uh, so I want to set you up by telling you this is sensitive. So you are perhaps going to be touched by this, someone he loves, what, how he could react. In my experience, after surviving that, the, the relationship I had after that, when I told him what had happened and he knew of my background, he looked like he had lost it all. He, you know, he looked like if, if my husband were alive, I don't. I think he would have gone to visit him. And it touches men because for many men, you have mothers whom you had to watch being mistreated by either your father or your stepfather or a boyfriend whom she loved and trusted. And so we have to, we get to this point where you realize that it has an impact on all of us. You are blessed if you have never had a woman in your family who has experienced violence, but the statistic being one in four, perhaps she has never talked about it. Don't go pressing, let her enunciate, because it's very sensitive and it's very demeaning to us, meaning these women are perhaps killed by strangers and neighbors, right? But we want a broader definition of femicide that a woman is killed just because of her gender. Whether she's killed by an intimate partner or whether she's killed by a stranger or whether she's killed by a neighbor or some guy whom she works with orders. Yeah, right? So you're walking down the street and she has no other interaction with this guy except he sees her every day and he wants to date her and he thinks that he has a right to dating her even when she doesn't want to, which invariably she doesn't, because she has a choice over whom she wants to date. But because he likes her, he's going to impose his power and his will over her. And he's going to make sure uh, we want to have this definition of femicide. And uh, because we think that it's time to recognize that women are being killed because of their gender. And because the men whom we enter into relationships with, for whatever reason, and men who are strangers and neighbors, somehow think that being a woman makes us fair game. You can't wear clothes. No matter what you wear, they're going to kill you. Uh, in one of the stories that I read, a girl was killed by her ex-boyfriend because he didn't like what she wore. He thought she shouldn't wear it. So, like, when her parents were making her and raising her, I mean, they didn't ask you for your participation, Right. So women are being killed by their, because of who we are. Uh, recently, I was expressing to a brother of mine that you don't know 
uh, you don't know what it is to be, to be a woman. And he's a friend to be adult. Right. And when I described to my brother that, every, you know, when he's getting up, he's a guy, he just gets up showers and just goes about his business, like, uh, whatever. And I said, for me, it's not like that. I have to think about where I'm going. I have to think about what I'm wearing because everything I say about me is politicized, right? So somebody else might look at, look at it, something I wear and think I'm flashing them or I am showing something when I just want to be comfortable. Well, that's what it's like to be a woman. As a woman, we have to think about our safety constantly. You know, we can't even carry a purse because you carry a purse that makes you vulnerable. They might think that you have stuff in the purse. They might want to come and attack you. Uh, you can't go into, you know, you're going to yoga class. You have to be mindful. You have to be on the phone. And ladies, for the love of God, can you just can you just stop holding the phone to your ear? Put the phone on speaker so you have the use of your two hands. What's the point in having the phone in your ear and your hands so your head, you're occupied, your two hands, you can't defend yourself. You're so involved in the conversation, you're not looking around you to observe the situation around you. It amazes me. The other thing that amazes me is women going for a run in the woods with, with your speakers in your ear, with your ear pods in your ear. Why are you where you are? You're sitting up for some guy pretending to be an Uber driver, or you're sitting up for some guy who has been stalking you, on a, and you are unaware of it. We women are continually being killed because of our gender, just because the perception is that we are, we are, we are lightweight, we are helpless, and we are being killed. Right? Right? So I'm asking all of us. Uh, you know, these are. Uh, the facts, right? Uh, that, let me give you something that's probably going to shock you. 94% of women who are killed in the United States are killed by someone they know. Does that shock you? 94% of women killed are killed by someone they know. So somebody they know. So they observe who comes in and goes out. It, it, it's one of the, one of the uh, parts of being a woman. That makes us especially vulnerable. You need something done in your home or apartment. Can I just tell you what that feels like as a woman? So this right, running fixed, or I need a door hung or a picture hung, something that I don't feel that I have the requisite skills to execute. And I call up some call up a plumber or a handyman. He comes into my home and he sees that I'm alone in my home. All of a sudden, he thinks this is a place for him to take me out. And I'm going to reject his advantage because, frankly, I'm not in either pretty. Don't tell me I look good. That's not what you're the, you there for. You are there to fix the damn pipe, fix the damn pipe. You're there to hang the damn picture, hang the damn picture. You are there to fix the damn toilet bowl, fix the darn toilet bowl, and get able to keep it moving. This is what men, you are so lucky. Because you never have to think about being vulnerable like that. Right? So a woman who lives alone, because frankly, there are not enough men nowadays. They're married or they're not married. They're somewhere else. They're not interested in women. And you all are. Men are like a guy. Like, seriously? Like, seriously. So we call someone to come. I don't want to have a conversation with you. I don't want to talk to you because that's, I don't want a friend. I want someone who's going to fix the job. These are the situations that leave women vulnerable. And a lot of women are, no, you don't understand how women are killed by someone they know. It's not just intimate partners. It's not only intimate partners. It's also by someone she's hired to do a job. 
walking away thinking, oh, she thinks she's better than me, or she's not really thinking that. She just really wanted you just to, could, could you just install the damn closet? Could you just install the, the, the furniture? Well, why do you, why does it have to be about you and your manhood? Do you see what I'm saying? And these are some of the situations that set women up. And then, of course, you have those power plays, power structural relationships where he's the boss, she's the employee. If you want to keep this job, you better bend over or kneel down. Eventually, those things still happen. It happens more than you know, right? She's vulnerable. She needs the job, so she has to bend down or bend over or kneel down or whatever he says. And when she rejects his advantage, it becomes, well, she's rejecting me. Who does she think she is? And so these are the situations that lend themselves to how women are being killed because of their gender. Now, if a man says no, he can punch somebody's life, they light out, which is what you guys are probably ready to be like, yeah, that's what you would do, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> For instance, that says, do not mess with me. Because it is one of the ways that we use to ward off unwanted attention. It's like even going to the grocery store or, or, or so. You're walking down the aisle looking for something. And you approach someone who appears to work there. And you're like, excuse me, can you tell me where so-and-so is? And why does he have to look me up and down? What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Yeah? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> right? I'm just saying, y'all. Right? Just want to say good morning. Hey, good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Y'all are not going out to drink. Well, you can't anyway because they shut most places. <laughs> right? Do not. Do not. Right? This might be the quietest St. Patrick's Day that is not alcohol infused in a long, long time. And the people said, Amen. <laughs> right? So, femicide in America is, is femicide in America is real. And I dare say there are other countries where femicide is just as much of a problem. It has to do with culture, hey, and it has to do with how you see yourselves, how we present ourselves, and how we view ourselves, and how women are viewed and depicted. We've talked a lot about the objectification of women, where we are presented as just sexual toys and just an object to be touched. And gratified. And even in intimate partner settings, when the woman leaves, it's amazing to me how the man whom she left, he, he, he can't seem to let go. It's the fact that the statistics around that are that 75% of women are killed. Often say, well, why do you stay in a relationship? You can't leave. First of all, you really can't, a woman really can't leave. She is threatened that if she leaves, she will be killed. She's beaten. She's intimidated. And she's threatened with killing. And if there are children present, she's threatened with that. These are the reasons why. So when people say, well, why did you stay with him for eight years? She can't leave, dude. He will kill her. You know these men, maybe you're, you, you, you know, you obviously are someone who doesn't know that these men are intent on killing. My ex-husband mentioned when he said it. When the police finally came and locked him up so that I could get away, they did me a favor, and they said, make sure you take that man away so that woman can have some peace, right? And I didn't know this until afterwards. I learned that it was the neighbors that the, the cops told us that it was the neighbors who hurt, so they had the history. They didn't even need my – it was so bad and egregious that when I didn't even have to go to court, they had the evidence where the neighbors had called. 
a good time. There's some guy lurking in the corner who's looking at her and sees her as fair game. I don't know why some people are like that. I can't tell why they have those kinds of issues. But the fact of the matter is that they do, right? And when they do, they make it a problem for women to, to feel comfortable and to feel safe and to feel as if uh, we are able to survive, right? It threatens our peace of mind. I still think that and uh, this 1,600 number could be as accurate as, as, as all get out because these are cases that are reported to law enforcement. So some of this, these are actual deaths and ran, knowing that it was her daughter who was killed by her ex. Right? These are very painful stories. What, perhaps I should do a story on what makes the man so consumed that when a woman leaves him, he wants to eliminate her. She should not live. She shouldn't have life. Why should she leave? Because he, she left him after a lifetime of abuse. This is not something consensual. This is not like, you know, well, we just can't get along. Let's part. Uh, I met someone else. I want to live with, you know, I'm happy with someone else or whatever. This is a lifetime of abuse. And typically, these people who are very abusive, they tend to not have other partners at the same time. You know that, right? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. They tend to be so bad, right? People were, it, it, it just was, uh, to this day, I don't think that family will recover for a long, long time. When you think about the episodes of violence against women, did the police end up catching them? Yes, they are both uh, put away by now. I don't think they had elected to go to a jury trial. I think they just fled to it. So they're put away. They should be, right? And there is no, no, there is nothing that he could say to the family, to the young girl's family, to uh, justify why he killed her. The young woman who was his girlfriend at the time, there's nothing she could say. What, you were jealous of somebody else? And because you get some sort of understanding and I discovered something. Violence is a learned behavior. Nobody's born violent. A baby doesn't come out of the womb violent. It's trying to survive based on its DNA and what is invested in its DNA or embedded in its DNA are known to him. If you're not coming out fighting, it's, a, it's learned behavior. And, and the thing about violence against women is that has, it has become so normal that we don't see it as a crisis. We don't see how much of a crisis this is. When you, when you and I send our daughters off to college, right, we recognize that we're letting them, especially we recognize that we're letting them go, and we recognize at some point that there is violence on college campuses. There's sexual assault. There's physical assault. Chances are she might get involved with someone. Violence is so normalized, and colleges have a way of keeping that stuff down because they don't want the world to know that they probably have a culture of violence on their campuses, right? It happens in workspaces. When, when a boss threatens you and slaps the, the desk down and slaps it, we think, oh, my God, he's so passionate, he's so manly, but it's threatening to a woman because it might be trivial for her. Maybe she lives in a home where that happens. I remember I didn't realize how much of a trigger this was, but I worked for, for, for uh, a company once, and the man was abusive. And I could tell he must have been abusive to his wife, but I didn't realize that the violence that I was experiencing at home, when we sat down in a sales meeting and he would slam the desk, I would start crying. 
I didn't realize. And somebody finally said to me, is everything okay with you? Are you okay? You can call for help if you need help. Right? Because I didn't, it took me some time to realize that I was responding to violence from a male. And when he slammed the desk, it had nothing to do with me. But it was triggering because I was experiencing violence in my home environment. And that's why we we realize now that we have to have a definition of femicide, that women are killed because of their, 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 their gender. We're going to come back to finish the work or because they didn't get their way with you in the first place. Or they set up for, for materials to be lost or materials don't get delivered and make it very frustrating because they take advantage of the fact that we are women and the fact that we just didn't play to their tune. That's really what it comes down to. We did not play to their tune. We did not dance to the music that they wanted us to dance to. And we live in a day and time when somehow these behaviors, as I identified, need to be corrected because this is what leads to femicide, the killing of women, just because we're women. We have to change that. We, we have to work towards changing that. It's health available, right? You need to go to my website here. You'll see a link that will give you the information on how. And if you know someone, please be kind, be compassionate, make yourself available, but don't let it be so obvious that the partner knows that you are going to help them because then it's going to be problematic for you and for them. My name is Harry Kammer. If you can go to my website, harrykammer.com, follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I need your support. And go to my page on Anchor FM to help be a subscriber to this podcast. Of course, there's more information available. You can listen to our previous podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as Breaker, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. As you continue, your numbers drive our support. So please subscribe. Just click on like, subscribe, go to my page on Facebook, like me, I'll be kind to one another. This is a very, this is uncharted waters for all of us. Please be kind to one another help us as we strive to achieve purity and to have peace during this time. I love you all. Thank you so much, everybody.